0: I was at Indiana State. I was a student there from 1992 to 1995. I was studying theater. I was going to become an actor. I was going to become a famous actor. I was going to become a rich and famous actor. Um, That's my plan. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, Sometime in the fall of 1993, it may have been 1994, uh, I was studying at ISU and I had a problem. I paid my tuition in 10 monthly payments. Uh, As an RA, I got free room and board, which was awesome, uh, but I still had to pay my tuition because they want you to pay to go to school, apparently. So I was paying my tuition, 10 monthly payments, and it was still early in the semester, and I had a problem. Uh, My tuition, it was a Sunday. I remember that it was a Sunday, it was a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and I had gone to church that morning at the Christian Campus House. It was called the Scamps House. Now it's Christian Student Fellowship. uh, And honestly, I tell you what, the Christian Student Fellowship, Christian Campus House at Indiana State saved my life. Uh, It saved my faith. It's where my faith grew up and became my own. Uh, I'm eternally grateful to Mark and Sue Gallagher uh, for the difference they made in my life. If you like me and you're glad I'm your minister, you have them to thank because it was through them uh, at Indiana State Uh, that I became uh, much more devout in my faith and that's how eventually God called me into ministry was through the ministry there of of scamps Uh, if you don't like me very much it's their fault uh, that I'm here so you can blame them Um, but no we love you Sean everybody loves you yeah okay Um, so um, so I was I was a student there and I'm and I'm in my dorm room one night on a Sunday evening and I'm doing laundry. Sunday was laundry day. Now, if you watch, if you watch the show The Big Bang Theory, you know that Sheldon does laundry every Saturday night, right? My routine was Sunday night was laundry night. So, any Big Bang Theory fans here? Okay, a few of you, yeah. Bazinga. Anyway, um, so uh, <laughs> thank you. I was uh, I was doing my laundry that night, and I'm, I'm just sorting my clothes. And so I got this, and this I know goes well. This goes in the dry cleaning, so that goes over there. And I'm sorting my clothes. And I have a problem, like I said. The, the problem that I had was I was $20 short. I was 20 bucks short of my tuition payment, which was due the following day. And I didn't have a job at the time other than being an RA, and it didn't pay very much except for the free room and board. And so I was really, really in trouble, and I was really worried, and I was really afraid, and I really doubted whether or not God was going to come through and give me the 20 bucks that I needed in order to stay in school because I was worried that they were going to kick me out of school. So I'm doing my laundry, and I don't know if you do laundry like I do, um, uh, I'm very meticulous about my laundry, and when I th- when I do laundry, I check my pockets. Who all checks their pockets? You all check your pockets? Uh, you have to check your pockets because you never know there might be chocolate in there. And uh, and if you find chocolate in there, it's like you know hitting hitting the the jackpot. So. Uh, I'm sorting my laundry and it's like well this shirt goes in that goes with the gentles although that time I didn't do gentles I learned about gentles later Um, and so these pants well these don't fit very well but I got to wash them because they're dirty because I squeezed into them and this shirt is dirty as well and then I got my Green Bay Packers lounge pants and uh, you know they're just awesome and uh, so those go over here though because they get washed specially because they're special and so I'm going through all my laundry and I'm just I'm just searching And I'm checking the pockets, and I'm praying. I'm I'm praying, Lord, I need this $20. I don't know where it's going to come from, and I don't know how you're going to provide. I just don't know, and I'm I'm really scared. And so I'm just doing my laundry, and I'm going through my pockets, and I I reach into my dress shirt. I wore a dress shirt that day. I used to wear dress shirts to church. um, Anyway, uh (laughs) on occasion now. um, But uh, I I reach into the, 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 the shirt pocket of my dress shirt that I wore to church that morning was a $20 bill in there. When you're a college student, you know, you know where every single one of your dollars is. And I have no idea how that $20 got into that shirt. At that moment, I fell down onto my bed, onto my my bed in my dorm room, and I just sat on the side of my bed with my head in my hands, and I just sobbed and I cried because God had come to me in a moment of doubt and reaffirmed my faith. At that very moment, the song that was playing on the radio next to my bed was a song by Twyla Paris called God is in Control. And like I said, I thank God this goes in here now. I thank God that he had come to me in my, in my time of doubt, in my time of fear, in my time of worry. And that he reached out to me in the midst of my doubt and reaffirmed my faith. I don't know about you, okay? But I know about me. And I know my fears. And I know my doubts. And I have them. And I would be lying if I told you that, oh, no, 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 I'm a pillar of faith. I have moments of doubt, just like many of you do, too. That's why this series is for you. And this series is for me. It's a brand new sermon series we're starting called Dealing with Doubts. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at stories from the Bible where people doubted. They doubted their faith, and they doubted the one in whom their faith was placed. They doubted God. Not only did they have doubts, but they also had great faith, and they recovered from their doubts as well. This is a sermon series not just about doubt. It is a sermon series about faith. And I want to talk about I want to talk about what happens when we doubt. How does God deal with our doubts? How does he deal with our doubts about him? How does he deal with our doubts about his promises? Is he angry with us when we doubt? Is he sad that we doubt him? Is he disappointed in us? Or does he welcome our doubts? Does he welcome us and our doubts? with open arms. Today, we're talking about the king of all doubters. We're talking about Thomas. And a person who doubts is referred to as Doubting Thomas. What a terrible thing to be known for. I mean, of all the things that Thomas ever did in his life, he, do you know that he went on to be a missionary to India? He took the gospel. He was the first one to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the con- to the country of India. And like started missions there and, and, and preached the gospel in India. You know, he's not known as Thomas, the missionary to India. He's known as Doubting Thomas. One time, one time, we'll get into this in his story in just a little bit, but just one time ruins the whole thing for his entire legacy forever and ever and ever. Well, we're going to look today at the story that made him famous. And now we're not doing this to look down upon him. We're not looking, doing this to to make ourselves feel better about who we are. And, oh, he was a disciple of Jesus and he doubted. That's, That's not what we're doing. We're looking at the Thomas within each of us. We're looking to see how we are all Thomas. So grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. And also grab your bulletin and turn to the third page, and we'll fill in some blanks in a little while on the handy-dandy outline. But we're going to look first, we're going to read in John 20, 24 through 29, at the story of Thomas. Now Thomas called Didymus, which means the twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus had been betrayed by his good friend Judas, one of his disciples, and he had been betrayed and uh, handed over to the, to the Jews, and he was arrested by the Jews and tried by them and convicted by them, and then he was taken before Pilate and was handed over to be crucified, and he was nailed to a cross, and he died within six hours. Crucifixion was the most brutal form of capital punishment that the Romans had devised. It was a horrible, excruciating experience Uh, that led to certain death, and they reserved it for the worst criminals of the worst, the very worst of the worst. It was reserved for people who were insurgents and who led uprisings against the Roman Empire, people who were seen as uh, traitors and who committed treason against the empire. Jesus was neither an insurgent or one who led an uprising. He was the son of God, and yet they crucified him with two other criminals. And when Jesus was on the cross, God the Father heaped all of our sins upon him. And all of our sins, when Jesus was crucified and when he died, all of our sins died with him as well. He was taken down from the cross, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay buried, and he didn't stay dead. But rather, God raised him on the third day, just as he promised, just as he said he would. And he was alive, and he was alive he appeared to Mary Magdalene, and he appeared to all of the disciples except two. Judas, who had hung himself, was no longer with them, and Thomas was not with them on that day. The Bible doesn't tell us why Thomas wasn't with them, but we know that he was not with them at that time when Jesus first appeared to them. The disciples saw Jesus, and they saw that he was alive. And when they came, uh, when they found Thomas, they told him They said, Thomas, the Lord is alive. They told him that Jesus was alive, that Jesus had come back to life. But Thomas wouldn't buy it. You see, he knew that Jesus had died. He wasn't there, but he knew that one does not survive crucifixion. He knew that he had been buried, and he was not going to get his hopes up. One does not survive, like I said, crucifixion. But people just don't come back to life. It was too much for Thomas to to grasp it was too much for him to believe he just wouldn't buy it You know, what's interesting is that before this Thomas was seen as a very loyal disciple in John chapter 11 Jesus was going to Judea And as he was going to go his life had been threatened there before and he was he was committed to going to Judea And Thomas said let us go with him We're gonna go We're all in we're going Even if it means that we have to die with him, we're going with him. So Thomas was a very, actually, he was a very loyal disciple. He was willing to follow Jesus, even if it meant dying with him. But this, Jesus dying, Jesus being crucified, this was too much to take. He was brokenhearted over the loss of his friend, that his friend had died. Maybe this was why he wasn't with the disciples. Maybe Thomas was a guy who just needed to be by himself. That when something terrible happened in his life, he just needed to get away from it all. He needed to get away from everyone and just go be by himself and think and ponder and process and pray about what had happened. But for whatever reason, Thomas was not with them. And he doubted. He doubted the resurrection because he just couldn't get his hopes up once again. And then he put conditions on his faith. When they told him that Jesus was alive, he said, unless I touch the nail pierced hands unless i put my hand in his side unless i see him face to face i will not believe it and that's what he says he didn't say i can't believe it he says i will not believe it i won't believe it the following sunday all of the disciples were together again this time with with thomas and maybe the disciples were still talking about it maybe they were still trying to convince thomas no thomas you don't understand he really is alive we really did see him Jesus really is alive. But Thomas was still not buying it. He still wouldn't believe. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Even though the doors were locked and there was no way into the place where they were, Jesus appears in the midst of them. And he says, peace be still, or peace be uh, peace be with you. And then, and then he turns immediately to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, and he answers his challenge, and he invites him to do just as he requested. Jesus, all-knowing, Jesus, completely omniscient, knew the words that Thomas had said a week prior. He says, you want to put your hands, your fingers in my hands? You want to put your hand in my side? Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas declares in faith. his, his, His doubting will go no further, and he declares in faith, my Lord and my God. He knew that Jesus was the Lord of Lords, and he knew that he was God in the flesh, that God had truly raised him from the dead, and now he was alive and alive forevermore. Thomas had gone from being a doubter to becoming a believer. The first blank on your outline this morning is to doubt is to be human. To doubt is to be human. See, Thomas isn't a villain. He's not a villain in this story. He's human. He had his hopes up. He was on the ground floor of something great, something amazing. He was on the ground floor of this brand new thing that God was doing by sending his son Jesus. He was there with them right at the very beginning. And his hopes were high. We are going to change the world. And then his world was shattered. His world came crashing down around him as he saw, as he heard of Jesus' crucifixion, that Jesus was dead. His friends tell him this unbelievable news. Thomas, the Lord is alive. Jesus is alive, and he just can't believe it. They, no, Thomas, you don't understand. We've seen him, and he is alive. Well, Are you guys playing some kind of prank on me? Is this a joke to you? Maybe his grief and sorrow just got the best of him. And it was just too much to handle, too much to take, too much to believe. You know what I do know is that Thomas wanted proof. He doubted, yes, and he wanted proof. He hadn't seen Jesus. He wasn't going to take their word for it. He had to see in order to believe. And that's a very human response, isn't it? To see and then believe. You know, what if they hadn't seen Jesus? How could he know for sure that he was the one they saw what if they were mistaken? What if in their excitement they saw something, somebody who looked like Jesus and they thought it was him? What if it was all a mistake? Nope, not for Thomas. Unless he could see Jesus, unless he could touch Jesus, put his hand in his side, and know that this is the one who was crucified and then raised, unless he could do those things, he will, would not believe i will not believe it it's a very human response when you have your hopes so high you have your beliefs set so high and then something happens to just shatter your world and your world comes crashing down around you when it falls apart it's a very human response to say i don't know to say that i doubt to be to doubt is to be human thomas was very very human and we are all Thomas in one way or another. Nearly everyone I know doubts from time to time. Nearly everyone I know questions their faith from time to time. I admire you. If you are one of those folks who can say, I have never wavered. From the time I came to Christ, I have never wavered in my faith. I have always believed, and I have believed with a strong faith. If you're one of those people, I admire you. Because I'm not. And I, and I know for certain that most of you are probably not that way either. The rest of us have questions, and we have questioned our faith. The rest of us have doubts. And here, you know what? We're in some pretty good company. And that's what this whole sermon series is all about. It's about those who doubt it. It's about you, and it's about me. The second blank on your outline is to see is to believe. Because sometimes we need to see. Sometimes we need to see. And to see is to believe. It's what it took for Thomas. You know, it's one thing to doubt and to search for answers, but it is another thing to doubt and to deliberately cover your eyes from the truth. I like what uh, former U.S. Senate chaplain Richard Halverson once wrote. He said, the fact is the birth, crucifixion, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ are celebrated worldwide by folk of every race, language, and color every year And believing in Jesus, they have been delivered from the most evil, disastrous, frustrating, debilitating habits and life forms possible. The real problem with Jesus Christ is not that folk can't believe in him, but that they won't believe in him. It's it's one thing to believe, it's one thing to doubt and to search for answers. It is another thing to doubt and never look for answers. Thomas believed because he saw Jesus face to face. He believed because he had an experience of the risen savior Jesus Christ. He saw that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was really alive, and it really was him. He saw that Jesus had been raised. But you know what? He refused to listen to the testimony of witnesses who saw him. And he failed to remember the promises that Jesus had made as well. In Luke 9:22, Jesus said the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See Jesus said he would rise again but Thomas said he would not believe unless he saw unless he touched. You know many people refuse to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the son of God. He is the only savior. He is the only hope for the world. They refuse to believe that he suffered and that he died for our sins. They refuse to believe that if we will believe in him and put our faith and trust in him, that we will be saved by God's grace from eternal punishment in hell. They refuse to obey him by, being, by believing and repenting and confessing and being baptized. They don't want to believe in Jesus. They don't want to obey Jesus. They would rather live their lives without him than to humble themselves and obey him. Why? Because believing in Jesus is an affront to human pride. Believing in Jesus is an affront to human pride. Believing in Jesus says, I don't have it all together. Believing in Jesus says, I need a Savior. People don't want a Savior. They don't feel like they need a Savior. They say, you know what, I got my act together. I've got, I'm a good person. How many of you have ever said that? I'm a good person. Nobody's ever said that. Okay. How many of you have ever How many of you okay? How many of you know somebody who's ever said, "I'm a good person." Right. I don't need a savior. I don't need anyone. What do I need to be saved from? I don't need to be saved from anything. I'm a good person. What do they say? I've never killed anyone. Oh, good. <laughs> we can continue this conversation then. But I'm a good person. I don't need a savior. I don't need to be saved from anything. I'm not a bad person. We want to do things our way. We want that Burger King faith. The faith that says, I want it my way. I want to do things the way I want to do them. I want to believe in Jesus my way. And when it comes to faith, though, it is his way or no way. We must follow his word and his plan of salvation. And to look for any other way is to reject Jesus Christ. Those who doubt, those who doubt, And would rather live with their doubts than seek the truth. You know, there are resources available for those who doubt and and want the truth. There are things that you can read. There are testimonies that you can hear of God's power in people's lives. That you can, uh, I have a a couple of things that I want to show you in just a second. But you know what, recently I overheard two young women talking at a store. And one of them, they were talking about their their lives and and things that they had done. And and one said to the other, this one girl says to this other girl, she says, you know, we are such terrible people. We are going to hell. And the other girl said to her, she goes, no, we're not. You have to believe in it in order to go there. And my heart broke. Because denying it doesn't exempt you from the reality of the eternal consequences of not believing in Jesus. Burying your head in the sand and refusing to see the truth does not exempt you from the consequences of our decisions and of our lack of faith. One of the suggestions I have for you this morning is to read. And I got some books that I want to show you uh, up on the screen. These are books that have to do with apologetics. And apologetics is studying about what we believe and why we believe it. And these are five books that I have found uh, that other people have found very helpful, that some that I have found helpful The first is called Letters from a Skeptic. It's by Greg Boyd, and it's a book written between Greg and his father. And they wrote letters back and forth. His father was a skeptic, but he wanted more information. And so he would uh, send letters to his son, and his son is a pastor, and his son would send him letters back answering all his questions. So Letters from a Skeptic is a great book about the the basic principles of faith. Another one is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a classic book in Christian apologetics and what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, the next one is More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. It came out in the 70s, I believe. So did I. But it came out in the 70s, and uh <laughs> um, so it can't be all that bad, right? But uh, it was a book written in the 70s. They've re-upped, they've updated it recently, uh, and it's like $5.99 on Amazon.com. If you have a Kindle or a Kindle app on your phone or on your tablet, $5.99 for uh, Letters from a Skeptic and then there's uh, i mean for more than a more than a carpenter and then there's um the next one is the case for christ by lee strobel that one's 4.99 on amazon.com on for your kindle or your uh kindle enabled device um and the case for christ is a very simple explanation of what we believe and why we believe it by lee strobel and the last one is if you like big words if you like using big words the reason for god by timothy keller is a great book it's 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 a very, very intellectually stimulating book, um, and it's—it's uh, will it's tell you what—it's a tough read. It's like walking through molasses in the middle of January. It is—it is tough, heavy stuff. But if you like that kind of thing, if you're a real, uh, uh, take a real intellectual approach to faith, I highly recommend *The Reason for God* by Timothy Keller. Um, don't just sit back and say I doubt, and then do nothing about it. Do some research. Do some investigation and pray about this and let God deal with your doubts in your research and investigation. The last blank on your outline is to believe is to be blessed. Jesus said that those who believe without seeing would be blessed. And you know what? Believing without seeing is hard. It's really hard. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to say that, oh, no, 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 no. Christianity is easy. Believing in Jesus is easy. Believing in God is easy. Faith without seeing, vision faith without seeing that's hard that's not easy but that's what faith is is believing without seeing i want to share some bible verses with you that talk about faith the first is from hebrews 11 1. the author of hebrews said that faith is the confidence that we hope for that what we hope for will actually happen it gives us assurance about things we cannot see and you know what there's a blessing that comes from faith and i find that in first peter chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That salvation is the result. Salvation is the blessing of faith. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he saves us and we are saved to go to heaven forever and ever and ever. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. The next two verses in John's Gospel, after the story of Thomas, this is what John says in John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that through believing in Jesus we have life and life eternal, the promise of eternal life, because we believe in his name. That is one of the spiritual blessings that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life in heaven with him. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, Paul wrote that we live by faith, not by sight. And that's what faith is, is believing without seeing. And we live here by faith, and we will live eternally by faith forever and ever and ever. I have a two-fold challenge for you this morning. The first challenge is for any of you who say, you know what, I am a skeptic. I, I do doubt. I have doubts about faith. I have doubts about God. I have doubts about Jesus. My challenge for you this morning is to take time to research the claims of Christianity, research the claims of Scripture. Read one of those books that I told you about earlier. Read one of those books, uh, Case for Christ, uh, Letters from a Skeptic, the, the Reason for God. Read one of those books. Or, you know what, call me up and let's have a conversation. Call me up and say, Sean, I want to get together. I want to talk about my doubts. I want to talk about my fears. I want to talk about my faith or my lack thereof. Let's talk about it. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. I, I understand. I've been there. I've had my own doubts. I've had my own fears. I've had my own questions. I get it. So let's get together and have that conversation about faith in Christ. Another thing you can do. Join our Theology 101 Bible study. That meets Wednesday nights at 6.30. Ron York is leading a Bible study in the basics of Christian belief. That's Wednesday nights at 6.30. You can come to Theology 101 and learn about what the Bible has to say about the claims of faith. My second challenge is for people of faith. There's a short verse in the book of Jude that I want to share with you. It's Jude 1.22. It says, very simply, be merciful to those who doubt. You know, we are surrounded by people who have doubts. And our reaction must be mercy. We can't berate people. We can't belittle people. That's not what Jesus did. People have questions. And I believe that the Bible has the answers that they're looking for. So let's lovingly point people to the truth of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus did with Thomas. Jesus came to Thomas in the moment of his doubt. And he helped him deal with his doubt. Jesus came to Thomas. He didn't belittle him. He didn't say, what is the matter with you? I told you I was going to rise from the dead. Why can't you believe this? He didn't berate him. You foolish man. Don't you believe I am who I said I am? That's not what Jesus did. He mercifully, gently, and lovingly brought Thomas back to faith. He met Thomas right where he was, and he brought him back to faith. And I believe that Jesus does the same with us. That he will lovingly and mercifully show us the truth, and when the people, when people come to us and they have doubts and they have questions, we need to remember what Ju- what Jude 1:22 says: "Be merciful to those who doubt." That way, the world might believe, and by believing, they will have life in His name. And let's face it: at one time or another, we are all Thomas. And we need the merciful, nail-pierced hands of Jesus to show us.